the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now a word from one of our Bible Live sponsors. Our company is so proud and excited to sponsor the Bible Live. As a businessman, I have to make decisions every day about how to best invest time, personnel, and resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation, a sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website www.thebiblelive.com or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888 That's P.O. Box 18888 San Antonio, Texas 78218 Hi, I'm Eric Galindo Training Director for the FSI Training School For individuals and businesses we offer certification courses in CPR and First Aid through the American Heart Association and also the Vehicle Safety Inspector course for the Texas Department of Public Safety. Courses are available every week for your convenience. Call me, Eric, at 210-314-2615. That's 210-314-2615. Nature's Factor carpet cleaning expert, Shayla James. What makes Nature's Factor better than the older carpet cleaning processes? Older systems saturate your carpet, leaving your space unusable, sometimes for up to a day because of their long dry times, plus leaving you with the risk of fungus and the dangerous chemicals left in your carpet. With Nature's Factor, our quick dry time makes your home or office space usable almost immediately, while our green solutions eliminate the possibility of fungus and are perfectly safe for your children and pets. Nature's Factor, carpet cleaning for the 21st century, 831-3535. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible, have fun, and win valuable prizes and resources for yourself, your family, your church, or favorite ministry. Here's how it works. Listen to the Bible Live Scripture Reading Program. Weeknights at 8. Not a program about the Bible, the Bible itself. Hear a 15 to 20 minute reading each weeknight. The entire Bible every year. Then on Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Sophie will ask questions from the past week's Bible Live readings. You call in with the correct answers and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of The Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Sophie Dollar.
Hey, Sophie, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, because when you turned yours on, I was not able to hear anyone. I hear you loud and clear. All right. Okay. Except I can't hear you. We have an unfamiliar face looking at us through the glass tonight. His name is John. John, I'm not sure John can hear me anyway. He's a little bit out there. We're good. Talk to me, John. Make sure I can hear you as well. We are ready to get going. Let me put our get our volume up here, get a new board operator, and all of a sudden we have to kind of learn to do, get the right levels again as we start off the program. Thanks for joining, folks. This is the Bible Live Quiz Show. And uh, let me see, John, I think both of you are, um, both of yours have to be on talk back if I remember correctly in there. I'm not sure of that, but we'll make, we'll get in touch here through the hour. This uh, is the opportunity you I have to call in through the evening. Answer some questions Nothing. from our Bible readings this past week. We read uh, mainly all of our reading this past week was from the Gospel of Luke, chapters 8 through 20. Luke chapter 8 through 20. And uh, so we're into the New Testament, and we're dealing with the life and ministry of Jesus. Uh, of it sounds, Nazareth, sounds like I'm in a can. And so we will be asking you questions that come from those chapters of the Gospel of Luke this evening. And if you'd like to get started, our phone number, by the way, is 340-9585, 340-9585. And if you're dialing long distance, you can call us 877-630-5757 from anywhere in the continental United States. Uh, that'll be a toll-free number for you. Three, uh, uh, 877-630-5757. So don't hesitate to get on the phone lines. Locally, again, 340-9585. Um, Jacob, how's the week gone? You, it's it, it's Man, there's, there's something. Can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you. I, I can only hear myself oh, talking. You're very loud here. Let me get your red. Okay. Okay. Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. Can, can you hear me meow? The important thing <laughs> is I can see you now too. Uh, okay, I appear. <laughs> yeah. Actually, it's okay. We stopped by a restaurant, you know, and wow, what happened? All right. Yeah. Yeah. We so are we, on. Well, we, we stopped are. by a restaurant. You did? Uh huh. Yeah. And we walked in, and I kept hearing these little tiny voices saying, "Oh, you've got a nice shirt. Oh, you've got nice tennis shoes. Oh, you've got nice socks." And I couldn't figure out where they come from. And I asked the waitress, where's that coming from? And she said, you see all these peanuts laying around? And I said, yes. She said, well, they're complimentary peanuts. <laughs> you must have gone. I know the restaurant. I know you. I know. I know that restaurant. <laughs> complimentary peanuts. Oh, yes. <laughs> all right. Well, there you go. Ka-ching, ka-ching. That's, that's our, our uh-huh. Jewish co-host. And, and actually, Jacob, uh, it, as always, I want to brag on you a little bit, pal. No, no. It please, please, really please. really does help. <laughs> really does help us. Uh, our objective here at the Bible Live uh, programs, Monday through Friday, we really give you an opportunity to hear the actual Bible itself, not just a, a verse here or, or a passage even, and then, and then somebody waxing eloquent and teaching and preaching about it. Uh, our priority is letting you hear the entire Bible, every verse, every chapter, every book of the Bible, every year we go through the entire Bible, and you get a chance to hear the book itself. You form your own conclusions about what it says, what it means, and of course, we uh, don't mind coming together and talking about it and discussing our what we've learned and our different experiences with the scriptures. 
and uh, kind of help each other. Iron sharpening iron is that's a good biblical phrase we can use. And so we try to grow together. But essentially, our our objective is to uh, read through the entire Bible every year, give you a chance to hear the Bible itself. Well, I think it's kind of a unique, a great idea because, you know, everybody, your grandmother and everybody else has told you all your life, you got to read the Bible. You need to read the Bible. And um, so we give you a chance, a little help with that effort, uh, Monday through Friday at uh, 9.30 in the evening. That as you finish your day, you can tune in and hear a 15 to 20-minute reading from the Scriptures every weeknight. And then here on Sunday night, we ask you some questions about those readings in the in the prior week. So all of our questions tonight, as I mentioned before, come from Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapters 8 through 20. That's what we covered this past week. Uh, meanwhile, we read, we always, uh, each evening, if you listen to the program on Monday through Friday, we also read passages from the Psalms and the Proverbs. It's what we call our wisdom and worship segment of the program. So we read from Proverbs chapters 4 through 6. So we'll have questions tonight from all of those different chapters that you can call in and answer. And let me get started. Let me answer, ask some of these questions, put them out there on the uh, airwaves. Uh, we have a special guest tonight, by oh, the way. Oh, I was waiting for you to bring this yeah. up. Jacob, uh, I'm very proud of this. Jacob oh. is the one who got to know this individual, introduced me to him. And I have had some, we've had some wonderful conversations, all of us. Uh, he's a pastor from Houston, Texas, who is going to call in this evening and help us evaluate and think through one of the major themes of the Bible. Uh, one of the major themes of the Bible is judgment, of course. God is going to hold uh, human beings. Ultimately, we're, we will be held accountable for uh, the decisions we make, for the actions we take. And uh, in, in particular, our response to him and to his grace, to his offer of, of mercy and grace and forgiveness and cleansing and so on. And so judgment is a reality. God is a great, merciful, loving God, but he's also righteous and totally and absolutely just or fair in all of his ways. And we're told that God will judge humanity. And who is this guy you're talking about? His name is Edward. Believe no, I was not. talking about the God. Oh, who is God? Yeah. The God of the Bible. Oh, I just wanted to. Okay, you wanted to make sure yeah. we're talking about And that's a good impulse. I like that. We need to be, nowadays especially, uh, what God are you talking about? There there are other gods. And, Could I take and a segue just yeah. for a second? Sure, sure. All right. <clears throat> I, cause as you when have you ever not been able to? Let's well, see. holding it on to a second was my problem. All right. There uh, you go. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, I was going. All, I yes. was going through a, a religious bookstore a couple times, and I saw this movie. And the movie is called Hell and Mr. Fudge. Now I Hell and Mr. Fudge. Yeah, yes. and so I, I I didn't want to buy it. After a couple of months, I found it sounded interesting to me. I thought it was probably some kind of a fantasy with some kind of a character made out of fudge that goes to hell and melts. I don't know. So you just couldn't resist. Yeah. So huh? I got the movie, and I've told other people, of course. I got, gave you a copy, of course, and told you about it. Right. Anyway, so I started tracking the guy down, and I got him, and he responded to me. So we talked for quite a while, and I became so interested in what he was saying. That's when I contacted you and said, Soapy, this guy, and this is very important, not only did they make a movie about him, but he also, and it's very important to know that he's not just a guy with an opinion, He's an expert in Greek, and he's known, taught Greek since he was six years old. I mean, he was taught by his father. And so he knows of what he says, and I've been so impressed with the content of what he's saying, I've become a real uh, affectionate of him. Yes. Well, my son, 
uh, our second son, Sean, who is one who really loves to get into the scriptures. He's a he's a researcher by nature. You know, these kind of like you, Jacob, you and and Edward uh, Edward Fudge, our guest tonight, really love to get deep into the scriptures and do the detailed work of going back to the original languages and checking out the history, the, the development of words and phrases and how things came about. And um, Sean introduced me. When I mentioned Edward Fudge to him, he said, oh, yeah, I remember reading about him because Sean is the first one who was in our family who talked to me about, he said, Dad, you know, this whole idea of uh, judgment, uh, there's everybody's clear in the Scriptures, one of the clearest uh, things is that God will indeed hold us accountable. But there's several views of what that judgment will be like. And, uh, and we talk about heaven. We talk about hell. And in particularly uh, in terms of God's judgment of the lost, the popular notion is that there is eternal, uh, those who are lost are, uh, we've kind of adopted the idea of uh, eternal torment, that they go to a place of punishment forever and ever. Um, I, I am going to have, Edward is going to come on tonight and give us the, the uh, maybe the less known or understood view, and that is of, eternal, uh, not eternal torment, but a place of uh, eternal judgment or uh, what's it called? The eternal punishment. I'm looking for the phrase that is used there. A total destruction. In other words, the destruction of the wicked and the judgment of the wicked. So we'll we'll look at that tonight. We'll get some help from Edward. Oh, and and uh, I assume that you're going to allow people to call in with some we questions. Are. You're going to get an opportunity to call in and visit with uh, Pastor Fudge, uh, you can talk to him and hear from him. Ask your questions as well. Uh, we're, our our desire is clarity. What does the the Bible actually teach on the matter? And so he'll he'll help us think through that. And uh, you can, of course, then make up your own mind then as to uh, what you think it, it seems most clearly taught by both Jesus, Old and New Testaments, uh, on this matter. So we'll we'll get Edward in here with us in the the. The next segment of the program. But right now, let's put out some questions that folks can answer. Uh, from the Proverbs, I have this question from Proverbs chapter 5. Uh, listen to this, folks. This is a question that really is has a lot of significance for the times in which we live. Disappointment and regret, shame, loss of honor, loss of money, disease, and death. It sounds like a country western song, doesn't it? Um, you know what happens if you play a country and western song backwards, right? Uh-uh. Yeah, the guy gets his girlfriend, his house, his dog, his pickup truck back. <laughs> well, this is kind of that realm. <laughs> Disappointment and regret, shame and loss of honor, loss of money, disease, and death. According to Proverbs chapter 5, these are all the certain results of what sin? Of what kind of sin in, in our lives? And so... That's according to Proverbs chapter 5. It's a terrible sin that has these terrible consequences in our life. Now, in Proverbs chapter 6, we are warned against laziness. Uh, We are told to work hard and to be wise like a certain insect. What insect is referred to there in in Proverbs chapter 6 and held up a little bit as a a model for us uh, to to, uh, be diligent, to work hard, and to be wise. What insect is held up as a model for us in Proverbs chapter 6? All right, then let's go to the book of Luke. Um, 
I've uh, chosen. I, I don't know. I'm going to give a few questions, Jacob, and then if you have one in your mind, there. Actually, list, do you remember last week? It was rather awkward because you had forgot your question. Yes, I did. Uh huh. Okay, well, I just wanted to bring that up before I make my next comment. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm I have so actually looked at the questions. I'm so glad you remember uh-huh. those. Well, embarrassing no, you're going to you're going to to make you feel better. Yes, thank I you. forgot mine tonight. Yes. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, thank you, Jacob. That yeah. is very kind. Yeah, I I, I to try do. to be thoughtful. Yeah, it is. It very it is very very thoughtful. Okay, well, I I've got the questions here that I've circled and uh-huh. Well, that's okay. You 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 just read some questions and we'll Okay, here we'll, we go. Shall I say a joke? We'll fudge our way through it. <laughs> oh, there you go. We'll fudge in honor of our guest coming up. Jesus tells the story in Luke chapter 12. Jesus tells the story of a wealthy farmer who builds bigger and bigger barns to store more and more grain. But in the parable, in the story that is told, uh, he this man is considered to be a fool. He is called a fool. Why? Why is he called a fool? It's a story of a wealthy farmer who builds bigger barns to store more and more grain. Uh, Why is he a fool? That's uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 13. And then also in in the Gospel of Luke, all of our questions tonight, chapter 16, there is a story of a rich man and a poor man named Lazarus. Why does Abraham, in this story that Jesus tells, why does Abraham refuse to send Lazarus back from the dead to warn the rich man's five brothers of the coming judgment in their lives, of, of God's judgment? Why does Abraham refuse to send Lazarus back from the dead to warn the rich man's five brothers of judgment? What reason is given? And where would the person find passage? the answer for that? They would find the answer in Luke chapter 16. Verse 31, all right? Uh-huh. And that story of the rich man and Lazarus, which, which also has a little bit of a... People often talk about that passage when we talk about the idea. That's why judgment. I was asking. I yeah. was hitting it because that seems to be very supportive of Mr. Fudge. Uh, in some ways it does, although yes. sometimes people use it on the opposite side of the argument as well. Because no. uh, he goes to this place, it's hot, uh, you know, yeah. and he water on his tongue and that sort of thing. It seems like a place of torment, you know. Oh, well, yeah. But we'll, we'll, we'll ask about it. We'll, we'll get the, uh, the, the benefit of, of uh, Pastor Fudge's uh, research and uh, study on this area. Okay, and then verse, uh, question number 15. This should be a practical question from everybody listening, anyone who uh, is a believer, one who is following after God and seeking after God. And uh, trusting in Christ and following the Lord, how do we get more faith? How is it possible to get more faith? All right, that's always people are always wondering. I'd like to have more faith, more faith. How do we get it? So look at Luke chapter seventeen, verse five. How do we get more faith? All right, you can call in and answer that question or any of these questions if you'd like. Just give us a call three four zero. 9585. Our phone lines are wide open, waiting on your call. And, you call right and I was wondering, after Mr. Fudge gets to talk a little bit, would if there's somebody in the audience would like to ask him a question, could they call and ask Same him? Same phone number, 340-9585. Or, again, you can call long distance if you oh. happen to be calling... 
from outside you have a question so listening uh, area then you can call 877-630-5757 a couple more questions uh this is coming from uh the gospel of luke chapter 20 give to caesar what belongs to caesar and give to god what belongs to god that was jesus brilliant answer what was the dangerous question that was jesus brilliant answer what was the question Chapter 20, verse 22 uh, is where you'll find the answer to that. And finally, in uh, quoting or citing Psalm 110, Jesus demonstrated that the Messiah would be a human descendant or son of David, but that David himself referred to this descendant as his Lord. What does this tell us about the Messiah? What is, what is the point being made when Jesus tells this story, what does it tell us about the Messiah? That's chapter 20, verses 41 through 44. Let's go to our phone lines quickly and talk with... The, did you say Bill, John? Bill is on the line with us. Hi, Bill. Hi. Good to hear good from you. Good to hear from you tonight. Good, good to hear your program. Hey, I'm, I'm a long-time listener, and I asked for an answer. You get him one before me, he says no, but... <laughs> I didn't want to hog the lines, but <laughs> no problem. We're glad to hear from you. Did you hear a question you wanted to answer, or did you have uh, a comment or thought for us tonight? I um, got. I listened to the about the last three. I guess about the middle two. Okay. What's the, what was the second one? Uh, let me see. I I, I I had some questions from the Proverbs, and then I had some questions from the Gospel of Luke. Bill, which yeah. one do you like? Uh, from the Gospels or from Proverbs? Um, Oh, yeah, that's right. Jesus tells uh, this story. Uh, uh, no, that's in the Proverbs. Okay. In Proverbs chapter 6, we are warned against laziness. Uh, in other words, don't be like Jacob over here. We're, we're told to work hard and to be wise like a certain insect. What insect is referenced there in Proverbs 6? The bee, that hard-working bee. Oh, my goodness, that is a wonderful guess. It really is, Bill, but it's not right. It's not the bee this no, time. It's huh? not the bee this time. It's another, and I bet you know the other oh, one. Oh, the ant. The ant. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> not the uncle, it's the ant. That's right. Be about your hardworking ant. Exactly right. What's wrong with mine? I should have researched. <laughs> well, it doesn't hurt to look it up, and this is an open book quiz. You're certainly yeah. allowed to do that. But uh, no, he's a he's a winner. He gets presents, right? He does. He gets a, a gift package. Let me ask you another, if you don't mind, just another kind of. You can help us clear up another one of these questions. I'd love to try. Okay, let's let's give you. Uh, let's see which one of these you might like. Um, do you recall? from uh, the story of the, this wealthy farmer. Jesus tells the story of a very uh, rich farmer. Yeah, I and, know that. And he gets more and more money and more and more grain, and so he says, oh, I'll, I'll build bigger barns and bigger silos, and I'll store more and more grain. I'll just store up my wealth. I'll get richer and richer. And then uh, the story goes, he is called a fool. Why is he considered to be a fool? Because the Lord says, you fool, you, you're, you're, you're going to lose your life tonight. <laughs> That's right. To very, this very night, you're going to die yeah. and go into eternity. And uh, 
and all you've thought about is earthly values of, of wealth and money. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. It's a good, good lesson, a great lesson for all of us. Bill, you've done great. You answered the question, both of them, correctly. A little I'm help good. on the first one, but that's all right. We love giving help. I, I think we should tell Bill something about the bee since he's fond of bees. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was an idiot me. I, I was... I'd be a smarty pants. I thought I could. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's okay. Book, no. Well, the Bible does talk a lot about bees and honey and all yeah. that sort of thing, so that's. Uh, well, yeah, but a bee is very important in uh, oh, yeah. biblical thought and in Jewish thought. Oh, yeah, in Jewish thought. Isn't honey one of. Uh, okay. Is, isn't honey. There's something about honey and yeah. being a kosher food. Uh, <clears throat> Bill? Uh, Come on, Jacob. Uh, Jacob just ate yeah. to tell us yeah, something yeah, about uh, the bee. Bill, would you like to know the answer? Sure. Which one? Yeah, a bee, you can't eat a bee, it's not kosher. But the honey, as Sopa you were saying, that it produces is kosher. It's one of like only two items that produces something kosher from a non-kosher source. Uh, yeah. yeah. So see, I think your answer is a better answer anyway. So when Saul told his troops not to eat anything all day, and then Jonathan picked up a, a, a honeycomb and ate some honey, he was actually still eating food that was... Kosher. It wasn't unkosher. Yeah. No, that's kosher. Food. Yeah, yeah. Ah, there you go. We 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 learn every little details all along the way. Bill, thanks for calling in. Don't yeah, hang up now. Pleasure. Talk to John tonight. Give him your uh, information, and we'll send our gift package of Express Lube oil change and maybe some uh, some uh, dry cleaning and just some gifts that we have from our program sponsors, uh, and we'll send that along to you. Okay. And yeah, the second I'd like to say uh, thank you so much for your ministry. My daughter was my, my daughter. Our daughter graduated and went to heaven to use the Lord. That she is to support uh, the Bible lives, and uh, and we're kicking up in her head. That is so touching. It really is, Bill. Will we we rejoice in that she knew the Lord, and we'll we'll see a, her again. We'll be together again as God's yeah. people, and it's a wonderful Great, truth, God. isn't it? Well, take I'm care, my friend. Time. Don't don't hang up. Talk to John and uh, give him that information, and we'll get that gift package in the mail to you. You can do that. You can call in just as easily as Bill did. Your Three, station four, for zero. Focus on the Family. 9585. 340-9585 is our phone number. And we will come back right after these messages with our guest, Mr. Edward Fudge. To the house of the God of Jacob. Hi, I'm Jeffrey D. Miller. Hey, Shalom Chaverim. That means hello to you, my friends. This is Rabbi Ted Simon. Welcome to Messianic Minutes, where we two Jewish guys who love Yeshua, Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, are all about Jewishness and Jesus and the way it should be. And this season that's coming up, Jeff, is the perfect merge of Jewishness and Jesus. That's right. In just a few weeks, we'll be celebrating Pesach, or Passover. And this is a wonderful season to see the Jewishness of Jesus and how many of the customs and ceremonies that we have as believers are founded on the Hebrew Scriptures. That's right. The more you know about the Hebrew Scriptures, the Tanakh, we often call it the Old Testament, of course, the more you're going to know about Jesus. That's what we're all about for 22 years on Messianic Minutes. The more you know about the Jewish stuff, the Passover is just a perfect example of that. As a matter of fact, let's go right into John, Yochanan, in the New Covenant, in chapter 1. Yeah, let me look, um, verse 29, Jeff, where John the Baptist saw Jesus coming down to him, and he said, 
Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You know, Ted, it is so important to understand the reference to the Lamb. Well, some people would say, well, they're sacrificial lambs. They were used based on the book of Leviticus to sacrifice. But it's more specific than that. Yeah, we're going to be talking about the Passover Lamb that was bred outside of Jerusalem, actually near Bethlehem, brought into the temple and sacrificed on these days of Passover. And over the next several weeks, friends, the revelation that's going to come out of the Passover right in Scripture in the book of Exodus and the Passover Seder, the memorial feast that God commanded in the Scripture, this is a compendium of evidence about the Jewishness of Jesus and the things that Jesus stood for were Jewish and the things that Judaism stood for in ancient days we're pointing right to Jesus. It's just, it's amazing stuff. And incidentally, if you haven't ever gone to a Jesus and the Passover Seder presentation, and they'll be coming up very shortly because Passover is just a couple weeks away, get to one if you at all can in your community. Yeah, look on our website, Messianic Minutes, and you'll see where Jeff and I are scattered around the country doing some of these. And if we're near you, get a hold of us and uh, come to one. We'd love to meet you, first of all. And more importantly, to see that you get to understand and taste and see how good the Lord is as we celebrate Jesus in the Passover Seder. Right. Jesus, the Lamb of, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. It's really, that's what the Passover is really all about. But again, got lots to go here and explain that to you. So let's go back though, because what started Judaism in the first place? You know, it, we often say, well, the patriarchs, the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, are the fathers of the Jews. Yeah, so Jeff, we think of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as being Jewish, but really not. The first Jewish person, the first person called Jewish, I guess, was Judah from the tribe of Judah. Well, his descendants even would have been the first people called Jews. But the point is, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as the patriarchs, are the patriarchs of the Jewish people. So Judaism, Israel actually, came from Jacob. Yeah, Jacob's name was changed to Israel, and his descendants were called the children of Israel. Yeah, so I mean, that's pretty neat to understand that, that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob themselves weren't what we would call Jewish today, but they were the father of the Jews, and God used their names and their descendants' names to create Israel and his Jewish people. Friends, we're Messianic Minutes. We'd love to hear from you. Get in touch at MessianicMinutes.com. That's MessianicMinutes.com. May the Lord bless you, and may he keep you. In the name of Jesus, our Messiah. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. A broken heart and a contrite spirit. You have yet to deny. We are back. This is the Bible Live, the quiz show. The weekend version, the quiz show here on Sunday evening, asking you questions, giving you a chance like Bill did. 
call in, answer a question, win some great prizes, and talk about the Bible, these great Bible truths, what it has to say to our lives today, and uh, what it has to offer and contribute to our uh, our happiness, our fulfillment, and, of course, our desire to please and honor the God of the Scriptures. Uh, let's go to our phone line. We have a very special guest joining with us this evening. Uh, his name is Edward Fudge, believe it or not. But, see, I don't make fun of anybody's name because my name is Soapy Dollar. So, Something uh, wrong with the name Edward? Nothing wrong with the name. <laughs> I think uh, Pastor Fudge, uh, you have uh, surely some folks have... Uh, uh, at least laughed a little bit. Oh, dig your way out, so at your name over the years, right? <laughs> uh, hung up, <laughs> Edward, uh, Edward. No, he didn't hang up. I'm oh, joking. I'm joking. Let's see, uh, Edward. Are you there with me? No, oh, let's see hello? here. Oh, he said there you hello. go. I heard a hello in there. Hello, Edward. Hello, Soapy. I was just commenting that probably some people, with two people like us with some unusual names, surely folks have. Um, chuckled a bit at your uh, name over the years. I'm sure they've made lo- a lot of different funnies about it, right? Oh, yeah. I was foot-sickled as a kid. <laughs> foot-sickled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder if your engineer can t- turn your volume up a little bit. I cannot hardly barely hear All right. Let me, uh, maybe I could speak a bit. We're in the red over here. Can you hear me a little better, even? Maybe that's a little better. All right. We'll speak. Both Jacob and I will make sure to speak. Yeah. I'd like to say hello to Mr. Fudge myself there, Soapy. Hello, uh, hello, Mr. Fudge. Hey, Jacob. It's good to hear your voice. Well, it's good to hear yours, and I'm looking forward to our discussion tonight because it is very interesting to me. Yeah, Same Jacob. Here, brothers. I'm delighted to meet both of you. Well, let's get right into it. Now, we're talking about the theme of judgment. Of course, it's found... It's one of those themes. Uh, there is no controversy about the idea that God, uh, the creator, the, the God of the universe, is going to hold human beings accountable for our, particularly for our response to him, uh, to his call, to, to uh, his, his uh, offering of friendship and love and the opportunity to be a part of the people of God. But we'll be held accountable for the decisions we make. Now, the traditional view, uh, and the, I, I'm going to let you lay these out, J, uh, Edward, because you know these, you've studied these so deeply and, and uh, uh, basically have the views of uh, hell is presented in the scriptures in terms of God's judgment of the wicked, the judgment of the lost, is their, their traditionalism talks about a fire that torments, in other words, uh, that People will burn and suffer forever uh, in the fires of hell, the lake of fire, and the, these images that you know that sometimes we find there in the scriptures and we've taken away. Then there is another view that says the fire that purifies, and that's more or less the idea of universalism that everybody will eventually make it into into heaven, but some may have to pass through a time of, of uh, purification. Uh, and then uh, and this the fire that consumes. Uh, from Deuteronomy 4, Hebrews 12, uh, the judgment of God is a fire that consumes. The, consu- the, the Lord our God is a consuming fire. So I, I want to just give you as much time as I can to talk about these particular views, Edward, and what it is, maybe you could tell us a little bit about your past experience as well, what it is that brought you to this view and brought you to study the Scriptures deeply to discover what what. When you talk about hell and the judgment of the lost, uh, are you saying there is no judgment or there is no hell or what? What basically? What conclusion have you come to? 
Well, I'm, I'm definitely not saying there's no hell. If anything, I'm saying the hell might be hotter than previously thought, <laughs> because in the past, the tradition of most of the church has been eternal conscious torment that people stay alive in hell forever. And I'm saying that the Bible really teaches they don't stay alive forever at all. He's asking you a question, Edward. Sarah Faye, you're on the air. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, right. hello there, ma'am. Hello there. <laughs> hello there. Uh, we're, we're trying to find a phone that I can hear, hear better. Okay. You're faded out where I can just barely hear you. Give me just one second. Sure. Let me, let me so he, Edward is not saying that there is no hell. Punch that one. Let me see. But it. that perhaps that... The punishment that God has is, is even maybe even more uh, more difficult or more um, stringent than what we that even that would be. Um, when Jake when when Edward comes back to us, we're going to allow him to continue Hello? to talk. Oh yes. yeah, Does I hear you better, better now. Okay, maybe this one will work better. Oh we, yeah, we yeah. hear you better. Yes, Mr. Fudge, I I hear you so much better. Ask me that last comment or question that you said just a moment ago we were just outlining the kind of the traditional view the universalism view and in your view that you've come to as you've studied the scriptures and going back deeply in both old and new testaments that that the judgment of god is a fire that consumes as opposed to and it it kind of turns on the concept of um, immortality is the soul immortal does it uh is it live forever or does the idea of, of destruction of that there, there are two there are two uh, ways to approach this, and maybe more than that. But w- one way is to start with God, and the statement in, in Timothy that uh, that God only has immortality. God is the only being in the universe who has life of Himself. Everything else that has existence exists because God made it and gives it life and keeps it going. And in the resurrection, according to the New Testament, God's people will be given immortality as a gift of God, and those who through life have sought for immortality will receive eternal life, it says. Uh, But every time the Bible speaks of human beings in terms of immortality or being immortal or deathless, it's always talking about the righteous, the saved, never the lost. It's always talking about the whole being, the resurrected person, not a soul or spirit apart from a body, and it's always talking about after the resurrection, not something that's true now. So the fact, it boils down to this, when when people say uh, everybody will live forever somewhere and they either will be in torment or in blessing, uh, the question comes back, well, how do, how do the wicked stay alive throughout eternity because they're not given immortality? Uh, they, they're not people who are given eternal life, and there's no life apart from God in Christ. So it's, it's like pulling the plug on an electric heater when somebody's cut off entirely from God. There's no way they can continue to exist forever. That's one approach to it. And from that comes the name conditional immortality for this view, which means that immortality is conditional on being given this gift from God in the resurrection. They, they do seem to be contrasted, I, I think, in... The most probably the most well known, the most famous verse of the Bible, John three sixteen, it, it and many others as well. But I just think of that verse comes to mind that how it contrasts the idea of uh, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth Him would not perish. There's one concept, and then would have everlasting life. And so you do see exactly the, right. continually the contrast and, and, and of those two realities. Passage is Romans fifteen 
Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And I, I can say, really, as we begin here this evening, that, uh, that when we're through, if, if, you're, if your listeners want to uh, remember what we're saying, really, and sum it up in a sentence or two, all they have to do is remember John 3.16 and say that and say it's either perish or eternal life. And those words mean just what they sound like. In fact, it's interesting, if you go through the Bible, both Old and New Testament, the most common way that, that the Bible describes the end of the wicked, or final punishment, or eternal punishment, the, the most common way it describes it is in these three words, uh, die, perish, and destroy. And they're words which in normal usage all indicate cessation of life, to be dead in the usual sense of the word, to be gone, to be no more, to not be there any longer, and, and so forth. But for, for a reason that uh, we can go into a little bit later, if you like, in the early church there came, there crept in from Greek philosophy, the idea that every human being has an immortal soul that cannot die, or that will never die. And, and based on that Greek pagan notion, the early church began to teach that the wicked will live forever in torment. I was going to ask what you. The Old I, Testament says. I was going to ask you. It's not where, what the New Testament says. Yeah. It's not what Jesus taught. It's not what the earliest church believed, and it's not what we need to hold to any longer today for a number of reasons. Well, it's one of the things that Jacob mentioned. Uh, one of the reasons he had this interest is because the traditional uh, historic uh, Hebrew or Jewish perspective of the scriptures is the idea of uh, the, the option that you you talk about, and that is that. Uh, the, I'm looking for the word you, you I'm looking for your, uh, instead of eternal torment, uh, there is the idea of destruction or annihilation, or uh, as I, I think the word that you mentioned is something to do with immor- uh, um, conditional immortality. But uh, talk to us a little bit about the history, Edward. Uh, again, how did the view of uh, eternal torment how did it become the basically the view? You talk a little bit about the Jew, about the Greek uh, philosophers. I, I know that Tertullian, uh, an early Greek philosopher, I think he was a Roman citizen, but a uh, Greek philosopher uh, in the third or fourth century, I'm not sure when. Tell, tell us a little bit about how how the idea developed and how did it become the kind of the the okay. majority uh, or the more popular view today. In the late today. second century, uh, third century maybe, and so forth along in there. There were there were Greek philosophers. Athenagoras was one. Uh, Tertullian was one of the major ones in what we're talking about. Who became Christians, and as they did, they also brought into the church with them much of their Greek philosophy, particularly the doctrine of the immortality of the soul. Tertullian's first book that he wrote was titled "The Soul," and uh, he he believed that the soul had corporeal substance. He describes a soul that he says. A woman in their church saw one Sunday in the church assembly. It had color and texture and all of that. And, the, and he, 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 he raises the, uh, uh, the question, what does Jesus mean when he says, Fear God, who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell? And Tertullian explains it by saying, this is a paraphrase, but something like this. He says, we must not think that Jesus means God will destroy the soul for we all know that souls are immortal and cannot be destroyed. What he really means, he went on to say, is that uh, the soul will suffer torment forever. But in fact, that's not what Jesus says. I think it would be helpful if you would be uh, interested in doing this for me simply to skip through the Old and New Testament right quick 
they just mentioned five or six passages, uh, statements which uh, support what we're saying, and it uh, seemed on face value to say exactly this. Very good, Edward. Yes, go for it. All right, sir. So these are a few Old Testament texts, and uh, there are uh, dozens more, scores more, maybe hundreds more in the Old Testament. But these are a few that are, are very out, outright. Psalm 2, which is a Messianic psalm, says concerning the Messiah, God the Father says to the Messiah, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage. You shall break them with a rod of iron, dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And he pictures judgment as breaking the people in pieces by throwing a clay pot on the ground. Uh, Psalm 37 uh, says, Don't uh, envy the wicked. They will fade like the grass, wither like a green herb. And then he uses these expressions. The wicked shall be cut off. A little while and the wicked will be no more. The wicked will perish, vanish, like smoke, vanish away. And there are just a jillion passages in the Psalms where they talk like that. Isaiah 11, again speaking of the Messiah as judge, says, He will smite the earth with the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. He doesn't put them in a place and burn them forever. He slays them. They're, they're put, to, put to death, a second death, and they're gone forever. That's what eternal destruction means, and that's the eternal punishment. Then the most famous passage probably in the Bible uh, is from the Old Testament is Isaiah 66, and it says in verse 16 that in the end time there will be this battle between the Lord and his enemies, and by his sword upon all flesh, and those slain by the Lord shall be many. Then the last verse of Isaiah says this, speaking of the righteous, they shall go forth and look on the dead bodies, of the men that have rebelled against me, for their worms shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be in abhorrence to all flesh. It's talking about dead bodies eaten by maggots, worms crawling over them, and devoured by fire. Not a big blazing fire, but in this picture of a city dump in the old days, of a fire that's smoldering, and the maggots crawling, and the corpses are being devoured by fire and worm. It's not at all a torment of living beings. It's a picture of the destruction, the consumption of dead beings. And then finally in the Old Testament, Malachi 4, the last chapter of Malachi, starts out speaking of the day of judgment is coming, a day in which the wicked be burned up, says the Lord of hosts. It will leave them neither root nor branch. In other words, they're completely gone. And you shall tread down the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day uh, when I act, says the Lord of hosts. And the picture all through the Old Testament is that very same thing. Uh, there, there's a great number of New Testament texts as well, but I'll stop a minute and let one of you have a space to say something. Answer something, Mr. Fudge. Yes, yes. Uh, Mr. Fudge, I'll tell you uh, what intrigued me is, a, a, I don't know if you were listening earlier or not, but I explained how I had ran across the movie Hell and Mr. Fudge and, I actually, I think I told you this when I first saw it, I thought it was about some character carved out of fudge and he melted in hell or something. <laughs> a cartoon, and, right? But, yeah, but, and it was intriguing. When I got it, I was so impressed with it, I watched it twice. At any rate, what intrigued me probably more than anything, and I, I'll be quite candid with you, I didn't know, I know you're a Greek expert, and I did explain to the audience, as you say in the movie, you began learning Greek at six years old. So you're, you're, you know what you're talking about when you read that. But what fascinated me was, Mr. Fudge, is what you came up with out of the Greek is really what Jewish understanding is. 
Very, very similar. And so I began thinking, I didn't even know that, frankly, I knew there was some, from a Jewish point of view, I approach everything from a Jewish point of view. And I knew there was something that wasn't quite gelling but uh, with the New Testament. But I, I was really pleased when you were able to discern ex- almost exactly from the Greek what, the uh, Jewish approach was be even before Jesus. Jacob has already tracked for us many of the, some of the problems at least that we have in the New Testament in terms of seemingly uh, not being absolutely consistent with the Hebrew views. That he has tracked some of that for us to the, uh, the to the translation. Of course, language is a very delicate, powerful, complex thing, and when language is brought over into another language, a culture. Uh, it's uh, our mindset, worldview, even it it can be uh, it can go south pretty quickly. So uh, he's he's talked to us about this in other contexts, about other themes. In fact, the problem of that translation, particularly the Greek bringing the Greek philosophies into the idea of the language that that doesn't match up with the Hebrew philosophy. Yeah, he's, yeah, this so is let, not let me new... say this about the a movie comment, the six-year-old thing, yeah. truth in advertising here, a full disclosure. Uh, I started learning Greek at age six because my father, who had majored in Greek in college himself, he was a preacher and wanted to learn to read the New Testament in its original language. He started teaching me the Greek language when I was six. He taught me the alphabet, and then he got busy and uh, couldn't have class anymore, and I didn't resume it till I went to college. So I didn't really study Greek all the time growing up. I just got started early, and then he left it till I got to college, and I eventually got a master's in the biblical languages myself. Let, let me uh, let me mention a few New Testament texts, if I may. Let, let me do uh, this, uh, Edward, Edward, before you, Edward, before you get started. Them, for, because, Edward, Edward, <laughs> before you get started, I, I, I want to, we've had, a, we've had a listener on the phone line now for a good while. Let me bring Greg in, if you don't mind. Hopefully he can join with us. I mean what they sound like. Oh, uh, Edward is still going, uh, talking about some of the state. Edward, I'm trying to get your Matthew attention. Chapter three, verse twelve. Edward, can you hear me? Let me try. Edward, Ed, Mr. Fudge, can you hear? Can you hear us at all? I don't think he can hear us at the point. His winnowing fork is in his hand. All right. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the granary, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And it says he'll burn up the chaff. Uh, it's a picture that he uses. Matthew 10:28, Jesus says, Don't fear man who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Fear God who can destroy both soul and body in hell because God can destroy it completely and forever. And then you've already mentioned John 3:16, where the two choices perish versus eternal life. They just are very obvious in what they say if we let them mean what they sound like. Same thing with Romans 6:23. Wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. It's life or death. And then Second Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9, Paul speaks of the time when Jesus will come again with his mighty angels in flaming fire, and the wicked will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. What do you mean eternal destruction? Does he mean that they are forever being destroyed and never thoroughly destroyed? Of course not. It means they're destroyed, and they're destroyed forever, and the destruction is eternal. It's not ever reversed or undone. Uh, I find it interesting in the Old Testament as well that the uh, that the flood and the Sodom and Gomorrah's destruction 
are two great examples of it, of God's final punishment. And the New Testament uses them that way. When the flood came, everybody knows what happened to the people who were destroyed in the flood. They were drowned. They were wiped out. They perished. They, they were destroyed. They are no more. When we come to the New Testament, Peter says in Second Peter 3 uh, that in the flood, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth are now being saved for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. So we use the same word both places. It's by, by water back there, by fire and the, and the judgment to come, but it's destruction, and it means just what destruction means both places. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah are, are very interesting as an example of, 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 of final punishment. Second Peter says in Second Peter 2.6 that God turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes and condemned them to extinction and made them an example to those who were to be ungodly. Sodom is an example of what will happen to the wicked in the end of the world, and Sodom was, was turned into ashes, and the people were made extinct. That's the picture. And I'll just mention one more contrast. In Revelation 20, 14, and 15, death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire, which is the second death. So again, it's life or death pictured by the lake of fire and the book of life. There are some expressions that people have assumed mean eternal torment or eternal pain. They don't mean that at all. And in a moment, when we want to, I would like to comment on that. Uh, Mr. Fudge, can you hear us now? I can just barely, barely hear. All right, that's a problem, Sophie. Maybe we a, we were trying to tell you there's a caller on the line that would like to maybe visit with you. Or, uh, we're not sure if he wants to answer one of our Bible Live quiz questions or maybe comment or question. To, are you able to maybe visit with uh, Greg and talk with him a bit? If I can hear him, I can. All right, let's see what we can do. If we Would lose you, like you I'll to call... hang up and call me again. Yes, if if we happen to lose you, I'll hang up and call you again. But uh, let's hope I've got all the right buttons pushed here. We'll see what happens. Greg, are you with us now? Yes, sir. Good, Greg. Good to hear your voice. Uh, have we lost you, Edward, or are you still with us? Again? Is Edward still with us? Oh, I'm, I must have lost Edward then, so we'll have to call him back. But go ahead, Greg. Uh, I don't know if you called to maybe answer one of our questions from earlier or maybe to comment a little bit about the theme, this theme of eternal judgment and whether it's uh, eternal torment or whether it is uh, uh, annihilation or destruction of the lost. Uh, I don't know which reason you called in, but we're happy to hear from you. Yeah, well, I, I, had, uh, I heard a lot about your show, so I called in, didn't know everything about it. But uh, definitely, people doing things for the Lord is something I like to uh, hear, you know what I mean? You betcha, you betcha. Well, normally we are uh, we're answering questions from the Scriptures and discussing the Scriptures. It's just that tonight we, we don't have many guests normally, but uh, since the theme is, appears in the Gospel of Luke, the theme of judgment and the theme of... Uh, uh, the theme of hell and the judgment in the in the parable of there of the rich uh, farmer and so on. We thought, well, let's let's bring it's a principal theme of the scriptures of how God deals with the wicked and His judgment. And so we thought, well, there's no one better to speak to the theme in terms of of understanding the different um, the different views than Edward Fudge. So we're privileged to have him on tonight. Uh, we've lost him, but we'll pick, we'll get him back again. Did you have a question for Edward, or did you want to maybe uh, discuss one of our um, one of the questions we have out on the airwaves tonight. 
Yeah, I didn't get to hear uh, uh, the question, but yeah, I definitely like to, uh, you know, talk about one of, you know, answer. Okay. Discuss one of the questions. Let me, let me give you, uh, here is a question that comes from the story of the rich man and Lazarus there in, in uh, Luke chapter 16. In the story of the rich man and poor Lazarus, it says, why does Abraham refuse to send Lazarus back from the dead to warn the rich man's five brothers? If you remember the story, uh, the rich man has died, has gone to judgment. Uh, he is a place, uh, he's at a place, you know, the, the heat, and he asks, can you put your finger in water and, join, and ease my torment? Can, or can you at least send Lazarus back to warn my five brothers? And they said, uh, no, we can't send Lazarus back. Do you recall the reason? It's Luke chapter 16, verse 31, Greg, if you wanted to look it up. Do you call? Okay, that's all right. We have another. Let me put you on hold. We've got to take a break right now. I'll put you on hold again, and we'll bring Edward Fudge back on the line as well when we come back from break. And we'll give Greg a, a different question to answer. All right, Greg? Okay, don't go away. Don't hang up. We'll be right back in a moment. Listening to the Bible live with Soapy Dollar. We are back. This is Soapy Dollar. You're listening to the Bible Live Quiz Show, and we have got our guest back on um, the line with us. Let me see if I can get it uh, loudly as I can. I hope you can hear us. And uh, I wanted to tell you, we have a, a, a caller who called in. He called in last week, but he called in too late to be on the program. So I told him to call back, and Greg has done that. Let me see if I can bring Greg up on the line with us. Greg, are you with us? Yes, sir. Greg, let me ask you another question then from the Gospel of Luke. Do you mind? Uh, let me ask you this one. Um do you remember there was a time when Jesus answered a question? He said, Render unto Caesar the things that belong to Caesar, and give to God the things that belong to God. That was a brilliant answer. Do you remember what the question was? The religious leaders asked him a question, and that was Jesus' answer. Render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Render to God what belongs to God. From Luke chapter 20, verse 22, do you remember what was the question that Jesus was asked uh, and he gave that answer? Do you remember the question? I don't remember the question. I think it had to do with um, I remember my... uh, Let me give you a hint. Let me give you a hint, okay? Good. What happens to us on in America on April the fifteenth. April the fifteenth. Oh, uh, that's uh, the day Jesus uh, was uh, born. No, no, that's a good guess. 
I think I heard him say something about a coin. That's what you, didn't you say coin taxes? Are, aren't you supposed to fill out some papers for the U.S. government somewhere? Uh, by oh yeah, the uh, your taxes are due. Oh good, the word keyword is taxes. Okay. You're a winner, the, Greg. <laughs> that was the question. That was the question that they asked to Jesus. Should is it right that we should pay taxes to the Roman government? And Jesus right. says, remember, he said, give to Caesar the thing that belongs to Caesar, but give to God what belongs to God. Greg, we are nothing but helpful, and we want to be <laughs> – we got you to come out with the right answer there about that. what what was the question that was asked, and Jesus answered the question uh, that way with that famous answer. Well, thank you for calling in, Greg, and we have – don't hang up now. Yeah, don't hang up. We oh. want to put you on hold here and give you a chance to – we'd like to send you a gift package from the Bible Live Quiz Show, all right? Appreciate it. Yes, sir. You bet. Yeah. Don't hang Thank up. You, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor from Houston. Appreciate you. All right, brother. Sure. Thanks for calling in. Uh, let's put Greg on hold. Mr. Fudge, you're there, right? Edward, are you still with us? Let's go to Edward then. And, Mr. Uh, Fudge, you're there, right? Conversation. Hi, can Edward. Can you hear me? Great. Yes, yes, we can hear you just fine. Uh, we were coming to the place of this. We're going to hold you over in this segment, if you don't mind, and and talk a little bit more. I think what you wanted to talk about was what are some of the, or question I wanted to ask you is uh, deal with some of the passages that are traditionally interpreted to mean uh, eternal torment. Maybe you could take some of those passages and and um, kind of, I, I think even tonight in the Gospel of Luke, sometimes the experience of uh, Lazarus and this wealthy man this wealthy man goes to this place. It seems like, uh, to some degree, a place of torment. He says, it's so hot. Can can Lazarus dip his finger in water uh, and, and touch my tongue? And, and, and uh, Lazarus, of course, is in a different place in the bosom of Abraham, we're told, whatever that means. And so sometimes even that parable that Jesus told, if it's a parable and not a story, is used to give the idea of torment or of of uh, flame and heat and suffering. Uh, talk to us about some of the passages that are used to uh, support the view of eternal torment. Okay. Uh, let's just start with that one since you brought it up there first. Uh, Luke, Luke, Luke 16, Jesus tells the story of the rich men and Lazarus. Uh, I would just point out several things about that I think are interesting in understanding it. In the first place, as you mentioned, it is a parable. And parables are, are not intended to be telling uh, literal truth about everything they say as actually having happened, uh, but are intended to be uh, stories that have one point usually that is being made. But somebody says, well, I don't want to go with that. I, I think it's a real true story. So I say, okay, that's just for the sake of conversation. Say that it's not a parable. Even in that case, it's not the subject of the story is not eternal punishment at all. The subject of the story, if we look at the context, is, uh, is how people live in the present life in terms of covetousness and helping the poor and that sort of thing. Jesus is teaching, if we look at the earlier verses, Jesus is teaching about covetousness, and the Pharisees, who are lovers of money, are mocking Jesus. And Jesus warns them and says, you better be careful because the things that are highly esteemed by men are not looked that way by God. And he says, you're living in critical times. The kingdom of heaven's being preached, and men are forcing their way into it. And you need to be paying attention 
to God while you have opportunity. Then he tells this story about a covetous man who did not pay attention to the times, wasted his opportunity, and ended up having uh, squandered every chance to get right with God before it was too late, which is really the point of the story. And when he comes to the punchline at the end of the story, it's in the story, the the Lazarus, the the rich man in in Hades uh, asked Lazarus to send send Abraham, I mean, send us. He asked Abraham to send Lazarus to warn his brothers so they don't come to the same place. And Abraham says, no, if they would not listen to Moses and the prophets, they would not listen to one even if he rose from the dead. And that's fulfilled in Jesus who does rise from the dead, and the Pharisees don't listen to that either. So the point of the story is really not anything to do with final punishment. But somebody may say, well, I don't care about that. I want to say it's, it's still talking about it because it uses it in the story. I say, okay, it's not talking about it, but I'll say that it is for the moment, just for the sake of conversation. Then we uh, say, well, it's not supposed to be taken literally. Somebody says, oh, yes, I take it all literally. And we have to say, if that's the case, well, wait a minute, uh, because in the story, uh, the, the rich man says, send Lazarus to bring a drop of water and cool my tongue in these flames. Does anybody really believe that a drop of water would cause anyone to have discomfort in final in, in, in punishment after death to be alleviated? Uh, not really. Nobody really believes that. Literally, it's a symbolic statement. It's a figurative statement. But somebody says, oh, I don't care about that. I'm going to say it's, uh, <laughs> it's literal anyway. So I say, okay, if, even if this were not a parable, which it is, and even if it, the context were on the subject of final punishment, which is not, and even if it were taken literally, which it shouldn't be, it still would not say anything about hell because hell is not even in the picture. What we've got really is the King James Version mistakenly put the word hell, but the Greek word is not the word Gehenna for hell. It's the word Hades, which is an intermediate state in the, in the Bible. And so uh, it's really a picture, if anything, of these Jewish brothers before Jesus rose from the dead, while Moses and the prophets were still the final word, and these brothers on earth are still living on earth, and, and, and time is still going on, death and Hades have not yet been thrown into the lake of fire. It's not final punishment at all. It would only be some intermediate state, which doesn't tell us anything about final punishment. So that's, that's what I've learned studying that passage. Let me uh, throw in something here, Edward. One of the things that we talk about continually in the Bible Live program and reminding folks that as we approach the Scriptures that a parable is not a statement uh, not to be taken literally. They're not allegorical in the sense that there's a one-to-one correlation between every detail of the parable and, and reality, but a parable is told to to teach one Usually one, and sometimes uh, 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 maybe a couple, but it usually has a point, a, a very specific point that it's trying to make. And I think that's what you're discussing here with the parable of Lazarus, if we if we indeed consider it a parable. Although I don't think the word parable is used uh, in the text there. It doesn't say Jesus told his parable. And that's where some people think, well, it may have been a real story uh, about a real Lazarus and a real wealthy man and so on. But the idea of a parable is not to have a one-to-one correlation and describe total reality, but usually is to make one clear point, and you've pointed that out in the context here, 
Jesus is talking about greed. Uh, he's talking about not helping the poor and so on. And that's that seems that will be held accountable for that. Well, but now, you do mention the idea of Hades as well, and I want you to talk about the language of judgment, Hades and Gehenna and so on. Maybe you can help uh, inform us a little bit about that as well. Jacob has a, a comment for you as yeah, well. Yeah, Mr. Fudge, uh, just for the audience that you know may be lost in some of our conversation here, I'm a very fundamental kind of guy, and so is this correct? Basically, the traditional thought and teaching in today's Christian world as I understand it, is that hell generally is thought of as being an eternal punishment where the soul is immortal and it's internal, eternally punished. Uh, would that be fair to say? Yes, well, that's the common view. Uh-huh. And what you're really saying, and uh, which I've just been awestruck by your research, and I think you're correct, but <clears throat> is what you're saying is, yes, there is a hell, but... It is not eternal, and God is not the kind of guy that would make somebody live forever to be tortured forever. Rather, what the Bible is teaching is that in the hell, as you understand it from the Greek, which lines up with the Jewish stuff, is that you get burnt up and you cease to exist like a branch that's totally burnt up. It's nothing but ashes. It's gone. And that's really, is it fair to say, that's the distinction that we're talking about tonight? Yes, sir, that's correct, and I would add one detail. Yes, sir. Jesus does mention in uh, in the story of the, uh, in Matthew 25, the parable of the final judgment in the sheep and the goats. He ends that story by saying that the, those on the right hand go into eternal life, and those on the left hand into eternal punishment. It's, it was commonly thought through the years by the people who hold this traditional view, which is nearly everybody, that... Uh, that the eternal punishment, by Jesus saying eternal punishment, had to mean eternal punishing, that they were being punished to conscious torment forever and ever. But there's a great difference between punishment and punishing. Uh, the Bible also speaks of eternal salvation, but that doesn't mean people will be forever being saved. It means they, they're saved and the salvation lasts forever. Uh, the Bible talks about eternal judgment mm -hmm. it doesn't mean the judging goes on forever it means that they're judged and the outcome of the judgment lasts forever is never reversed and so the same here uh, eternal punishment is eternal is the outcome of the punishing and the punishing is the eternal destruction the punishment is they're destroyed and once they're destroyed that they, they're destroyed forever and that is eternal punishment it's what we would call eternal capital punishment. And we, 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 the state of Texas, for example, I worked as a lawyer the last 25 years, civil law, not criminal law, but in Texas we have criminal code, and, and there's all kind of punishment for different offenses. Somebody may pay a fine. That's punishment. Somebody may go to jail. That's punishment. They may go to penitentiary. That's punishment. And in the worst cases, they may even be put to death, and that's capital punishment. We, we, nobody says, well, wait a minute, those other things can't be punishment because they, they, they don't hurt enough or don't last long enough. The reason it's punishment is because it's what the law prescribes and what is uh, sentenced on the person by a judge with authority to do, to do the sentencing. That's why it's punishment. It's the outcome of their evil deeds. But to say the word punishment doesn't say anything about what the punishment consists of. And so when Jesus says eternal punishment, doesn't 
tell us what the punishment is. It just says whatever it is, it's eternal. And it turns out that what it is is what Paul calls eternal destruction. Jesus himself tells us what it is in Matthew 10:28 when he says, Fear God who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And so in the process, some people say, well, there's got to be a room for a lot of pain and agony here. They, they want to be sure nobody gets off too easy. And uh, I question the, our own sensibilities if we think that way, but some people do. And so I just add that if, if that's the case, if there needs to be a certain amount of conscious pain and agony in each individual case, it will be exactly done according to perfect justice. God is a righteous judge. It will not be one bit too much. It will not be one bit too little. It will be perfect judgment, perfect justice. And when it's all over with, the person will be gone, and they will have ceased to exist, and they will be no more. really like your explanation. That really begs the next thing I want to ask about. Now, I know because I've seen the movie twice. But uh, in the movie... Hell and Mr. Fudge. uh (laughs) And I would encourage people to look at the movie, and perhaps we'll get a chance to talk about your book in a moment. But I would like to ask to make you a real uh, human being to folks. There, what happened in your life that caused you to be so under such much pressure to research this and discover the meaning? Would, would you mind explaining a little bit of that to our audience? Okay, sir. So let, let me uh, just take a, a second here before before I answer that question directly and give a couple of resources for people some of these things you're talking about. Okay, sure. Uh, I, I have three books uh, out on the subject of hell. Uh, three different ones, and you might say they're mama bear, daddy bear, and baby bear in the sense of one is very easy to read for everybody who's interested to read it without Greek words and that sort of thing, without footnotes. A second one is sort of a debate between another theologian and myself on the two views about hell, and it's a little bit more complex but easy to read for a serious student. And the third one is a scholarly book that Anybody that works hard enough can read, but it's rich real work called The Fire That Consumes, 500 pages, about 1,000 footnotes, now in the third edition, and so forth. But all, all of these books and my other books on other subjects are described and so forth in my website, which is edwardfudge.com. And that's all you need to know, just my name and .com, edwardfudge.com. And Edward if you go to my website, Edward you can learn all about my books. And if you want to order any of these, you can uh, see there how to order them as well. Uh, there's also this movie you described, Hell and Mr. Fudge. I did not make that. I didn't have anything to do with making it except we watched some of it being made. And I worked with them after they decided to make it. And, uh, and so but I didn't sponsor it or whatever. Uh, I gave my approval. This feature movie, Hell and Mr. Fudge, is, is also on my website. And you can see a preview there, a trailer, and you can also learn how to order a copy there if you're interested. And then there's another website, not mine, but one that has many really good resources on it if you're interested in studying this subject more. And that's called RethinkingHell.com, RethinkingHell.com. And it's a very good website that I recommend, even though it's not my website. But back to your back to your question of what made me be interested in the subject. Uh, actually, I was not overly interested in it. I, I didn't have a whole lot of desire to study it. I didn't think a lot about it. 
I wasn't bothered particularly by it, but um, in the mid-1970s, I was in my mid-30s then, and I was approached by an Australian publisher, a religious publisher and theologian, who had formerly believed the same thing I'm teaching now, and he had come to question some other doctrines of his denomination, and he decided he needed somebody outside his group to study this subject thoroughly and help him decide what he should believe. So he, he actually came to Alabama, where I lived at the time, and spent a night with me, and we talked about 16 hours, and he hired me to spend a year studying this subject. Everything in the Old Testament, in the, in the Apocrypha, Pseudepigrapha, Dead Sea Scrolls, between the Old and New Testament, everything in the New Testament, the Apostolic Fathers, and the Nicene Fathers, and all the way down to the medieval theologians and the Reformers. I spent a year doing this in the process of which I also wrote this book, The Fire That Consumes. So that's how I got into it. I was half a lifetime ago for me. I'm 70 now. I was about 35 then, and, uh, and I never dreamed at that time this book would have the influence it has. It actually has helped to recreate a study of this subject all over again by theologians and evangelical leaders all around the English-speaking world. Uh, and I'm not taking credit for that. God uses all of us in ways that are amazing to us because he's the one doing it. There was a, a friend of yours that, when you were boys that, um, that had a terrible thing happen, and you asked your father some questions according to what I've seen in the movie. By the way, I have the Fire That Consumes book. But uh, could you, would you mind just for a brief minute explaining that? Because I think that helps people get a grasp of who you are. And You're asking about the movie about the boy that's killed? Yes, sir. I lost you. Are you yeah. Sure? Yes, sir. Yes, yes sir. Yes, okay. Yes, sir. In, in, the, in, the, in the movie, there's a story when I'm uh, probably in elementary, not a junior high school maybe, uh, of a friend from school who was killed in a car wreck, and he was not a Christian, and I was concerned about his salvation. It was he suffering in hell already and so forth. The, the movie starts out by saying at the very beginning, this is based on a true story, and not everything, not every detail in the movie is literally true, but it's based on the true story. And this is one of those things that's based on a true story. That was a composite character representing several friends that I had who were killed as young people. And it was not that I was obsessed. It's a little bit, a little bit overstated maybe, but I was concerned about it, I'm sure. And if it came to my mind, I was distressed about the thought, but I wasn't just consumed about it. Certainly was not eager to just try to find some way to get around the problem, but I studied this, this subject because I was interested in learning what the Bible said, and it was only after, only after I decided that the Bible taught uh, what I'm saying now, and I had to change my mind about that. Uh, it was only after I changed my mind based on what the Bible taught that I came to really think about the emotional part of it and say, well, this certainly sounds a lot more like God. But we we can't start by saying, I don't like the traditional doctrine, so I'm going to come up with something different. We have to start by saying, what does the Bible teach? But once we see that the Bible teaches this, and it means what it says, it's when it says the wage of sin is death, and the gift of God is life, and once we see that it really means that, 
then we're free to say, wow, that certainly says more like God. Uh, Mr. Fudge, I'm sorry. Uh, real quickly, we have a caller on the line, and I think he would like to ask you a question. Would you entertain a question from a caller? Yes, he <laughs> would. Let me see if I can bring Harold on the line with us. Uh, Edward, are you still on the phone line with us? I can barely hear you, but I'm here. All right. Uh, Harold is on the line with us as well, and maybe Harold has a comment or question for you as well. Harold, are you there? Was I able to get Harold up on the phone line successfully or not? Harold? No, I was no, not. doesn't sound not. like it. I don't hear Harold on the phone line. They'll put him back on hold here and go back to... Edward, Edward, I wanted to t tell you that through the years of ministry uh, that my wife and I have enjoyed here and across, and really in many countries of the world and so on, one of the m most common questions that we have been asked over the years has been that there are people who have a problem with the traditional view of hell, eternal suffering, uh, because it's seen as uncharacteristic, out of out of sync with the the character of the God of the Bible, loving and merciful, yes, righteous and just. But and so uh, I know it wasn't like you. I would say it wasn't a, a particular problem of mine in the sense that I've always known that there were things about eternity and about God's judgment that were beyond my comprehension, and I just simply know that God is not only merciful and loving, but He's also just and righteous, and that His judgment will be fair and down to the, the the perfect degree and so i've never really uh i've never really struggled myself with the idea of uh feeling bad about the idea of eternal judgment or eternal punishment um because i've i've just ultimately given it over to faith in god's righteousness and goodness and that he would do the right thing but i do know that there are people both in sometimes believers in the faith and outside the faith, that this creates for them a, a real dilemma. They just really have a struggle with that idea. Uh, and I know that in some ways we can't judge God. I mean, that, that's not what we're trying to do. But uh, if there is a view, a more accurate and correct view of the Scriptures, that is more important. In other words, I don't guess we can form our opinion about judgment and hell based on how we feel about it. But the real question is, what does the, as you've said it over and over again, what does the Bible actually say yes, in reality? And uh, said, I'm sure many times our feelings follow our faith. Our faith doesn't follow our feelings. We start with what God says, and that's a matter of faith, and then that, that leads into our feelings as a result of what God says. So our feelings follow our faith, and that's what we're trying to do here, say what does the Bible teach, and once we understand what it teaches which is different from what we maybe were taught to begin with, then we can say, wow, that certainly does feel a lot better. That's more like God as I see pictured in the Bible, especially in the person of Jesus Christ. Sometimes people, Sophie asked me, uh, asked, asked the question, why does this subject even matter? And I would like to say quickly, it matters for at least three reasons. First of all, when we tell people what God says on the subject, we need to be sure we say what God really said because he indicates in the Bible he's not pleased when we tell people something he didn't say and, and pin it on him. So we need to just try to be careful and say what he really says. In the second place, traditional hell of unending torment 
has turned many people away from the gospel. And it's created more atheists than anything else that we know about, probably. So if it's not the truth, which I believe it is not, it's a good thing to get rid of it because it's done a lot of harm. And then the third and most important reason it matters is what you just said. What we say about hell is a reflection of the character of God. And when we tell people God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life, it doesn't make much sense. And it seems like there's a disconnect if we come along a little bit later and say, and those who don't have this eternal life, he's going to keep them alive and roast them forever and never even let them die. That just doesn't seem to fit the character of God, does it? All right. Our time is up. Thank you, Edward Fudge. EdwardFudge.com. That's E-D-W-A-R-D, Edward Fudge, just like the Fudge Sickle, dot com. You can get more information about our guest tonight and hear from him there as well. We hope that you will take the time to do that. And uh, we, our time is gone and for this evening. We thank you, Mr. So Fudge. Good to be with you both, brothers. Thank, thank you, lots, friend. Well, hopefully we get the chance to visit again sometime. And uh, we'll look forward to that opportunity to see you and visit with you personally, brother. Thanks. Have a good good evening. And we are saying good night to you as folks as well. We spoke through our outro tonight, but we're glad you're here with us on the Bible Live Quiz Show. And have a great week. We'll see you back here next Sunday. KSLR, KSLR.com, and on ChristianRadio.com. Tune in and the iHeartRadio app. Hope in the Night with June Hunt. Weeknight starting at 11 on The Word in South Texas, AM 630 KSLR, San Antonio. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible, have fun, and win valuable prizes and resources for yourself, your family, your church, or favorite ministry. Here's how it works. Listen to the Bible Live Scripture Reading Program, weeknights at 8. is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture and is brought to you by Crew Military Ministry. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 9.30 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Live Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and The Bible Live Broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help crew military minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.